welcome to the Project Management Show with your host, Scotty Bud Melvin. This podcast features renowned project management professionals. They'll be sharing their insights on what it takes to achieve project success and their lessons learned along the way. Now, with another Project Management Show, here's Scotty Bud Melvin. Hello, and thanks for checking out the Project Management Show. My name is Scotty Bud Melvin, and we're talking all things project management. Make sure to check back with us for more Project Management Show podcasts at projectmanagementshow.com. Today's show brought to you by the Trident Group. If you're looking for a development team that understands the project management data they're working with, visit them at tgi-us.com to learn more about the Trident Group and their solutions. All right, our guest today is the co-founder and president of Oregon Forecasting Incorporated in Portland. He is Rich Grubby, and he is on with us right now. Hi, Rich. Hello, Scotty. How are you, sir? Good. Good. Thank you for the time. We really appreciate it. Um, I think first we need to find out a little bit about you and your company. So let's find out a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been in project management um, for quite a while now. And uh, I started in as an uh, employee of Oregon Ironworks mm-hmm. in uh, 1990. And uh, prior to that, I'd been an iron worker and was an on-the-shop floor iron worker until I got hurt and went back to college. And then my first job with Oregon Ironworks was as a purchasing manager. And the company was growing um, in size, and as it grew in size, I developed, I was developed by the company and the managers to take on more and more responsibility, mm-hmm. which included project management and project controls, and worked for them for 14 years. I was mm-hmm. in sales and estimating for a period of time, were awarded some large contracts, went on to run those contracts um, successfully uh, using the tools that we use um, to do earned value management. And uh, and then in uh, 2004, was asked um, if I could go out on my own by a company that had the contract to manage the Alma project, mm-hmm. uh, which was the Atacama Large Millimeter Array in, in Chile, which is a multinational project. And it was sounded very, very exciting. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to try this. And so my wife and I set up the company and essentially um, she does all the hard work, taxes (laughs) and the insurance, and I get to go out and do what I like doing. And she's the boss, right? And she's the boss. Yeah, it's her company. (laughs) She tells me once in a while she pays me. Uh I don't don't ever see it, but it's it's exciting. And um, we... um, Especially that initial project um, was only going to be six months, and I thought I was going to go back to Oregon Ironworks. Mm -hmm. But um, Oregon Forecasting is still here today, um, 11 years later, and we uh, have successfully worked on five major projects um, at different sites. And it's it's been a real honor, really. I mean, these are big projects that... uh, that needed um, somebody focused on them, um, focused on the schedule development. Mm-hmm. And then, and so that's really what my primary um, niche was. So it's kind of, so in my career development, having used these tools as a project manager and then understanding them in other facets of managing back at Oregon Ironworks 
than to come and just say, hey, how do you build a really good schedule so that somebody that is a project manager or a project director for a project, a role I used to have on other, in, before in my career, now I'm supporting somebody. So I'd say to myself, if I was them, what would I want? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd provide that. And uh, so, so it's been a, a fun career. The projects um, since um, I've been out on my own have been all science related and the science is very interesting. Is that something you did on purpose or was that accidental? I mean, it was accidental. Yeah. I mean, that, um, you know, that Alma came calling and, uh, and I went on it and it was a radio telescope, a radio array, uh, very similar to the one in Socorro, New Mexico, that, you know, the beginning of the movie Contact with Jodie Foster, where she's sitting on the truck, mm-hmm. look at, looking at these, this radio array, we built, that's a 27 antenna array. We completed 64 antennas in uh, northern Chile, hmm. and uh, and and my role in these projects are pretty much at the beginning. So I was there for uh, from 2004 till 2007, getting it planned, the budgets approved, um, the schedule in place, and then getting the monthly cycle of reporting developed, and then handed off to the um, the employees to manage for the duration of the project. Mm-hmm. Is that, and, uh, you think that's the biggest, is that the biggest project you've worked on? Uh, no, it's not. No. Uh, well, when I was at Oregon Ironworks, I worked on ground-based missile defense, wow. which was, which is a, a very large, very international project. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a small piece of it as a project manager. I was the responsible for building the first three prototype silos wow. and the first three prototype silo closure mechanisms, mm-hmm. which was an explosively activated device that opened on top to let the missile out. Right. And so, so that, so, the, so I had those first three um, sets for the prototypes. And then um, along with the company, I, worked on the follow-on 10 production units and then we got the next 10 production units and by this time um, our company and our efforts had become noticed by um, Bechtel and Boeing and Boeing was the prime government contractor Mm -hmm. and so they asked to help come down and enhance their schedule on the main site and so basically I was loaned to them and went down to Huntsville, Alabama. And then I saw this amazing, amazingly how big this project really was. You know, when you take in the missile silos, the mm-hmm. missiles themselves, the radar arrays, the, and they were spending a billion dollars a month at that time. <laughs> and so, and to see how big the IPT teams, which are integrated project teams, mm-hmm. And to see how they were they were having some difficulty at the time. That's why they brought me in. I was able to watch how um, they had changed the person running the project, and he was making the IPT leads from all over the world come meet him every Saturday morning in Huntsville until they got the project back online and headed in the right direction. Wow! And so seeing, I mean, so that was the largest project, and. Mm-hmm. 
and scale is a big thing. When you look at a project, every project's run differently dependent on how big it is. So I don't expect to ever run into a project like that again, um, unless somebody hears this show and says, hey, I've got one. <laughs> you never but, know. <laughs> uh, but it seems like most of the projects, um, I was on the Deep Underground Science and Engineering Lab project, which is a dark matter uh, science experiment, which was going to place three water tanks, which are detectors, uh, science detectors, a mile underground that were all larger than the Statue of Liberty. Wow. Right. <laughs> and um, that particular uh, configuration of the laboratories underground, um, after we made our proposals, the uh, National Science Foundation and the Department of Energy decided they didn't want to spend that much money. Mm -hmm. But the project continues today at a smaller scale, and there are successful projects, or successful science experiments being done a mile underground there right now. Wow. So so that was real fun to work on and to um, see how the people that are vested in the project kept it going, mm -hmm. um, scaled it down, made it viable. And then after I, the Dussel project, I went on the, uh, was asked to go to the facility for rare isotope beams. And that's at Michigan State. Mm -hmm. And that's at a particle accelerator. And so that project um, was, a, again, a Department of Energy project, so they needed a baseline and a time-phase budget to present to get their funding. And uh, worked there for three years helping them, and it was a great experience. So after that, I went to – so currently, I'm at Brookhaven National Lab, and uh, working at the national – or Brookhaven National Lab has several um, – science facilities. They have a nanotechnology facility. They have ERIC, which is a particle accelerator, a collider, a very large one on site. And then they have a, a light source, which is a uh, accelerator that instead of colliding atoms, it bends the electron beam and it creates X-ray um, workstations, essentially. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be... so they. I was here in 2007 helping them to build the accelerator facility, and now they're building 60 experimental facilities around it. And so the scientists are very excited about it. So brightest light source in the world. Wow. Do you have something in your sights, or are you not able to do that to see what the next thing's going to be? No, I've never been able to do that. Yeah. I usually... I usually uh, we There's an understanding... Um, my primary goal is to uh, really to set up and train the on-site people mm -hmm. and to um, and they're going to live with the project and and so there's always this when are we going to cut the cord you know rich has been here um, you know let's when are we going to move on and so and usually I, and I, I stay really focused on being committed to that project mm -hmm until they don't need me. And then, and we usually have an agreement that they'll give, we'll give each other like two months notice. And so I usually don't wait, or so usually if they've said to me, hey, we don't think we're gonna renew you. I don't, I haven't started looking for something until mm -hmm. right at that point. Okay. And, um, but 
but so far in 11 years, I haven't missed a day of work. So <laughs> it's, um, it's, I've had good karma. Good there luck. You, there uh, you go. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're here with Rich Crubb from uh, Oregon Forecasting Incorporated here on the Project Management Show. We'll come back in a minute. We'll talk about some theories, some philosophies, get his opinions on some other things. The Project Management Show today brought to you by the Trident Group. Find them at tgi-us.com. There are good software development companies, and there are companies that are experts in project management. But finding a company that excels in both is difficult. That is until you meet the Trident Group. The Trident Group develops, deploys, operates, and sustains leading-edge project management software applications and data management systems for government agencies and industry leaders. As experts in Microsoft SharePoint technologies, they have delivered dozens of custom solutions from desktop to mobile devices that have satisfied the needs of project management professionals challenged with distilling the mountains of data into usable information to make informed business decisions and make those decisions faster. If you're looking for a development team that understands the project management data they're working with, then visit tgi-us.com to learn more about the Trident Group and their solutions. Our guest today on the Project Management Show is Rich Grubb from Oregon Forecasting. And uh, Rich has been talking about some of the projects he's been working on and has worked on. I want to talk a little bit, uh, I'll go a little bit of a different direction here. Can you give us an example, maybe in your past, of a big challenge that you faced, maybe how you handled it, something big? On the um, deep underground science and engineering lab, hmm. uh, that was the biggest challenge because by then I had enough experience to understand things were big challenges. Before then, I'd walk in and do them without understanding how big of a deal they really were. But when I walked into this project, they had um, three very large engineering firms doing estimates mm -hmm. and independently. And, um, and then at certain key point, points, they would kind of share the information together and make sure they were on the same page. But they, would, um, but they weren't really correlated the same way so so I immediately recognized that and said listen we need a work breakdown structure we need a WBS we need to have everybody estimating and designing to the WBS and that way if you know the the um, so they had mining engineering company was designing the tunnels and then they had laboratory um, building people designing the laboratories to go inside the tunnels and then the utilities and infrastructure around that. So I would say, hey, we need to, you know, these there's going to be um, interface points. We call those um, IC, ICDs, mm -hmm. interface control um, documents that we create. And I said, those all have to relate to the work breakdown structure so that we can organize them and know for sure that we're talking apples and apples when mm -hmm. we talk. So I put together a presentation and I, the project paid for the parties. Um, the engineering firms were in three different states, one in New York, one in Colorado, one in San Francisco. So we brought everybody to San Francisco mm -hmm. and presented it all to them. And everybody was very cooperative and changed their systems and developed 
and implemented the WBS. And so months later, when we had to pr provide a uh, a whole cost estimate for the project, I could take all three sets of data and integrate it into resource load, the schedule, the activities of the schedule. And I was able to do that in a pretty short amount of time, a, a week, and, and then produce reports. So that upfront awareness of where we were going to have our problems and being able to explain that to the project manager and then having him recognize it yes, we should do something about that right now, why we can't, was, um, it was a, a real success. And it was really fulfilling for myself to be able to, and, you know, that just helped develop me as a, uh, to understand how important it is you communicate things that you see need to be done. Sure. How about tools, things you use, resources that you're using today? Maybe mention today, some of those. Yeah. Yeah, we um we use uh, Primavera mm -hmm. P6 um, version 8.3, and we use uh, Cobra 5.1. And Primavera P6 is the uh, scheduling tool, and Cobra is what we call the cost tool. And what that means is we resource load a, a schedule, and that time phases out all our work. And then when we load that, and, and but it has some limitations on 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 how you how the rates work and cobra uh, like the labor rates and material um, rates and overheads and escalations so we bring the data there's a they actually can talk to each other mm -hmm. through a wizard we bring the data right into cobra and then cobra it has a much more flexibility in applying rates and doing uh different simulations with rates to see, you know, the correct overheads to apply. And, and so those are the two primary tools. I also, you know, the, I don't think um, using those tools, you have to be a very good Excel user. Excel, I think mm -hmm. Microsoft Excel is the magic elixir of our industry. Wow. Um, and, and then, um, Lately, in the last year, my daughter turned me on to this. You know, she's in college, and mm -hmm. she's like, Dad, you need to be using OneNote. So I've <laughs> become a huge OneNote user. Right. And I, you know, I have a touchscreen Microsoft Surface, and I use OneNote to, um, you know, I can print emails into it. I can print all my important notes. I can even put spreadsheets into it, and it's with me all the time. And, uh, I think that's it. And that's a tool that's been around and it's free to everybody with Microsoft Office. Right. So I've been a real advocate for people to open it up and take a look at it. And and Skype is a tool that we use regularly still. Sure. And I mean, we even video, we even Skype enter office. You sure. Know? It's like, why not? <laughs> you know, instead of walking across the complex. Right. Uh, <laughs> That, yeah, you, you sometimes feel a little lazy doing that, but hey, you know, if it works, yeah. it works. It saves time. And, right. Uh, and actually to do what I do now, when I left in 2004, when I left, you know, started traveling from Portland, mm -hmm. I still live in Portland. I go home every weekend, but I basically raised my kids through Skype. Wow. And, uh, and it was, uh, I think, very, um, it was very positive for me. Yeah. I like to tell people... When I was at home, I was this dad that would say, 
walk home or walk in the front door after walking past my grass that was too long and <laughs> tell the first I have four kids, tell the first one I saw, why haven't you mowed the grass? Or why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? And then I started traveling and I had to start being developing conversations with my children without being able to see if the house was dirty or the mm -hmm. house the grass needed to be done. <laughs> and it changed our whole relationship. And the important things became important and the unimportant things kind of just went to the wayside. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Skype had a lot to do with that. Um, because, I mean, as young teenagers and younger kids, they were always fascinated with being able to video conference. Sure. And as a parent, I was like, you know, if if I did get in that mode of, have you done this? Have you done that? All of a sudden I realized it was a short conversation and they were clicking off where if I, you know, it was, how was your day? Kind of open-ended questions, you know, all the things that psychologists tell you, right. you know, then I could keep them engaged and online and they would ask me about my day and it went back and forth. So, and now my kids are in four different states anyway. You wow. know, they grow up and leave anyway. Sure. So, so we've already developed this mechanism of communicating from afar, and um, I just had to do it earlier than I had planned. Sure. I'd never heard anyone say how how you said that that you had uh, Skype had helped you raise your kids. I'm making a note. <laughs> I'm going to send Skype an email, and they're going to do a story on you. It's going to happen. <laughs> We're going to get it done. It was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I really believe that. Yeah, that's great. Hey, you know, you find the tools that work for you and you use them. Yep. Let's talk about, uh, in general, project management. Why do you think projects succeed or fail? Do you have any anything you can throw at us about that? Well, I really feel it's the leadership yep. at, at the very top that, you know, um, which is probably could be said for a lot of things. Yep. And we either, you know, praise or or um, lampoon our leaders, obviously. Um, and what's nice about the science projects is the science projects are usually, they're run by what's called a principal investigator. Mm -hmm. um, that's what this uh, National Science Foundation and the Department of Energy call the point person on the project. And these are people that are avidly um, promoting their project. And before, and so they were doing this back when their project was a white paper and they really weren't even interested in how much it costs. They were just looking at the um, scientific viability of it. Mm -hmm. And then the, and then it became a concept and then they got a little bit more money to make, say, well, let's expand your idea. And then it becomes this big project, but they're still in charge and they've never run a big project. And um, so then they ask um, people like me to come in and help them but they take it really seriously. And these are very smart people. So they learn what I know and other, you know, what others teach them very quickly. So that because they're so passionate about their project, they're, they, they're usually very, very interested in getting the whole team that's been assembled working towards very uh, discreet goals. Mm -hmm. And so that works really well. And I think, uh, one of the things I like to tell people, and this isn't new, I mean, people say this all the time, is um, and is that if you can't measure it, you can't really manage it. 
okay? Mm-hmm. And so you have to break your project down into pieces that you can measure. And so, that, again, I go back to the work breakdown structure, I think, starting there as the foundation of a project. The So you have a work breakdown structure, and which we call the WBF, mm-hmm. and it has a WBS dictionary that describes the whole scope of work involved in each element of that structure. And if the project manager, the owner of the project, if he or she really understands that and makes the people underneath them develop that and and stay within those limitations because that's how you control the scope creep that kills so many projects. Mm is by saying, oh, yeah, it would be nice to have that Cadillac, but remember, we've only priced out the Volkswagen. <laughs> and so we're going to stick to the Volkswagen. Maybe in a future upgrade, right. we'll get the Cadillac, but right now this project's the Volkswagen. There you go. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure that's a hard thing for some of these people that are so impassioned by their project. You know, they want the Cadillac too. Their people want it, but in this particular area of the WBS, we've decided this is where we're going to cut back to the Volkswagen because it doesn't hurt the um, key performance parameters that we're trying to achieve, and we need to save money somewhere. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so that leader has to be the gatekeeper of the scope and knowing where his scope is, knowing where the costs are that support that. And... Um, it's a, it's a big job. Speaking of leaders, do you have any uh, any books that you think might be on someone's must-read list or should uh, be? I love to read. Yeah. Um, in general, I'm a an advocate that people. I mean, reading is good for the mind. And um, but I just finished. Um, I'm a fiction reader, um, and most people I know kind of give me a bad time for that. You know, they're <laughs> always reading. My brother reads. You know the history of all these great people. And, um, and so I get to learn about them from him, but, uh, I just finished the wheel of time series by uh, Robert Jordan. And, um, so it's 14 books long. Each book is 800 to 1200 pages long. Took me 14 months to finish it. And it, um, but it was very interesting. It's kind of like a PG version of game of Thrones. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, where there's all these different groups of people and cultures and, but the whole good versus evil and the whole, if you do good things, you get good karma. is just throughout the series. And, um, and at one point I was like, I'm not going to finish this. It's way too long, but the last two books are the best two books. And so I was so glad I finished it. (laughs) And, uh, I have read, um, and I do, um, pull, when I'm um, working with people, I pull from a, a book I read years and years ago called uh, Fly in Formation. Mm-hmm. And, it, um, and it's about what leaders need to do is not say, follow me, essentially, but to say, this is where we're going. Let's go together and be letting people know where they're going. And, um, and then saying, you know, and if and like, and on the front of the book is a, 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 a flock of geese. And, and if we all do our own part and we're in this formation together, it's easier for all of us. 
but it really stems from the leaders saying, you know, don't just follow me blindly. This is where we're going. Do you want to go there too? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I really like that um, kind of a business book. And um, then I just read a um, book. A gentleman gave me this to me on the plane. I met him and started talking. He started talking to me. It's called Brand Promise. He has an interesting, he used to own a set of hotel chains and then uh, he retired and he uh, lives in Puget Sound and uh, and he knows, like the, he's good friends with the owner of Starbucks and he knows these people. But his um, business now is he helps people with their corporate brand. Mm-hmm. And so he helps companies and he also helps movie stars and athletes everybody's got a brand and Mm -hmm. um, and you've promised your fans or your customers something you know what that is as the owner but how do you get your you know like if you're a Starbucks how do you get the person serving the coffee to know that and to value it and to you know every day come into work and make sure you're getting that you're keeping the promise Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was a fascinating book and um, he um, points out a lot of things that I think um, are good for people to keep I mean every day when we come to work we're promising that we're going to make some kind of small accomplishment and that's what what I try to do every day Uh, as we get ready to wrap up here do you have any uh, parting advice you want to leave us with any parting project management advice maybe well I think uh, keep learning Mm-hmm. Every everything changes, um, you know. Even in our little project management industry with the earned value management system, that we tend to, even though the calculations are the same and how it works is the same, we tend to change the language all the time. Um, I think that's just to keep consultants busy. But um, <laughs> the uh, but I, I I really believe you know a lifelong having a mindset of we never know it all. We always can learn from the people around us is, is real important and uh, being open to it. And that's where we're going to leave it. Well, I appreciate your time today, Rich, on the Project Management Show. Thanks for all the information from Oregon Forecasting in Portland, Rich Grubb. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Today's Project Management Show brought to you by the Trident Group. Find them at tgi-us.com. Make sure to check back for more podcasts at projectmanagementshow.com. My name is Scotty Bud Melvin. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Project Management Show. Here's hoping that your projects are always on schedule and within budget. Catch us next time right here for another Project Management Show.